Well, good morning. morning. Welcome again to Bridgewater. Uh, My name is David. I serve as one of the pastors here. If you were with us last week, you know that we began a series called Starting Point. And in this series, we're trying to give each of us really an opportunity to start fresh in our faith, to have a brand new starting point in our faith, or maybe just to challenge some of the unhealthy assumptions, maybe the unhealthy beliefs that we can sometimes have about God, about Bible, about faith, uh, that can sometimes happen in our church culture. And so we hope that this series will be a help to you in that way. And if you missed last week, I'd really encourage you to uh, get on our website and check out the podcast and uh, really get caught up. Um, And this series each week is going to kind of build on uh, the next. And so we'd encourage you to be here every week or to keep up with us uh, on our podcast so that you can uh, really get the most out of this series. We think it'll be so incredibly helpful. This series is actually uh, also a class that we run usually two times a year. uh, And we thought this class is so beneficial we need to make sure we take everybody through it. Um, and so actually our kids' ministry, even in, in kids, they are talking about some of these things, and our student ministry, uh, they're talking about some of these things because we think it is that foundational and it is that helpful. Um, and so that's why we're, we're going through the series. And today we're going to be talking uh, about a word that really always seems to come up in religious conversations. It's a word that if you grew up around church, or maybe even if you didn't, you've probably heard it quite a few times when any kind of religious thing comes up in conversation, and it's a word that we, we really can't move forward in our faith journey without talking about. And that word is sin. And, and sin is an interesting word because it's pretty much purely a theological term, right? Like, we don't use this word in, like, non-spiritual conversations. Like, your boss isn't going to call you into his office tomorrow and be like, listen, we need to talk about your sin problem, right? A cop's not going to pull you over on your way home and be like, for which sin do you think I pulled you over? Like, that would be be a little bit weird, right? And that, that we pretty much only use this word in uh, theological, in religious kinds of conversations. And I think the reason for that is that in our culture, it carries, uh, it's, it's really, it's a heavy word, isn't it? It carries with it maybe some guilt, maybe a little bit of shame. It, it speaks to something evil, something that's morally wrong. It feels really heavy. And so sometimes we want to avoid this word. We want to we say, you know what, I don't want to talk about sin. And so instead we use this word. Mistake, right? Sometimes we want to replace the word sin with the word mistake. If I were to ask you, I'm, I'm not, so don't raise your hand, um, but if I were to ask you to raise your hand if you've ever made a mistake, I think every hand in the room would go up pretty quickly because, and if it didn't, if you're, you didn't raise your hand, the person next to you would be like, bro, come on, like, you're perfect, like, come on. But let's be real here this morning. But if I were to ask you to raise your hand if you've ever sinned, I think there'd be a little bit more hesitation because it's such a heavy word. Like people here in the front row would be doing one of these. Like, is somebody else raising their hand back there? I want to make sure. Because it's such a heavy word. A mistake is something that you did wrong out of ignorance or by accident. That's the definition, a simple definition of what a mistake is. You did it wrong out of ignorance or by accident. It's what you do on a math test. It's when you accidentally turn left instead of right at the intersection. It's when you uh, spill coffee all over yourself, and then you're like, oh man, i got to change for the third time today. Like, that's what a mistake is, right? Sometimes you'll hear a politician or a celebrity that's been caught in some sort of abuse or scandal or whatever it might be, and they'll get up in front of a whole bunch of cameras, and they'll tell the world what? Mistakes have been made, Right? And you're sitting there as an adult like, bro, like, that's not a mistake. I don't even know what to call that, but that's not a mistake. Here's some things we need to understand about what we sometimes call mistakes. You see, sometimes we make mistakes on purpose, right? 
We know it isn't the right thing to do, and yet we go for it anyway. Sometimes we even plan our mistakes, don't we? Sometimes we kind of have it all thought out ahead of time. Sometimes we drive across town and go to that person's house so that we can make that mistake. Some of us have a stash of mistakes hidden at our house. Like, what do we call that? A a premeditated mistake? Like, is that even a thing? Often we make the same mistakes over and over again. We just keep going back to it. What what do we call that? And what do we call a person who makes those mistakes over and over and over again? See, the problem with using this word mistake is that you can correct a mistake, right? You can erase it and go back and do it over again. You can make a U-turn and start going in the right direction. But here's where we have an issue. You can correct a mistake, but you can't correct you. You've been trying to for a long time. You might even pay somebody $100 or more an hour to try and correct you. Your spouse has been trying to correct you. You've been trying to correct your kids. And yet we all keep coming back to the same mistakes over and over again. In fact, sometimes when we're trying to self-correct our mistakes, we'll even go back to that mistake as a reward for being so good at avoiding that mistake, right? Like I've been so good, I owe it to myself to do this, right? Think with me for a minute how insane that is. We go back to something that we know will hurt us, that will hurt people around us, that will hurt the world around us again and again and again. What do we call that insanity? Why would we keep on doing something knowing it hurts us? And the reason is that our problem is greater than mistakes. We're not just mistakers. We are sinners. And I know it might be a heavy word and I know we might not like to talk about it that way. We might want to avoid it or excuse it or call it something else to make it sound better. But I think if we're honest with ourselves this morning, we know that our problem is that we are sinners. That is deeper than just mistakes. And a sinner is somebody who knows better but does it anyway. So it's not a problem of misinformation. It's not a problem of a lack of information. It's not that we made a mistake. It's not that it was an accident. It's it's when we know better, but we choose to do what is wrong anyway. And so if we're ever going to start over in our faith, we need to figure out this issue of sin and what we can do about it. We might not like always talking about it. It might make us a little bit uncomfortable, but if we're ever going to move forward, it has to be dealt with. And Jesus actually had a lot to say about sin. Sometimes we like to avoid some of those uh, teachings, but again, that doesn't really help us. And so we want to look at one of those in Matthew chapter 5. If you've got a Bible, uh, I'd love for you to turn there. Uh, if, you're not, we, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, we'd love to give you one at our Welcome Center so that you have uh, your own copy. But Matthew chapter 5, um, Jesus is, this is the Sermon on the Mount, his most famous teaching. Um, and Jesus says this relating to sin in verse 20. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is really bad news for his hearers because they knew that the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees were the most righteous people around. Like, they were literally professional professionals at being righteous. Like, that was their job. Their job was to keep the rules and to make sure that everybody else kept the rules too. That was who they were. And so if they're not righteous enough, then who could be? Jesus says that's not going to cut it. And then he keeps going in verse 21. You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. 
If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. And so Jesus is just like raising this standard. He's raising this bar for what is moral behavior and what is righteousness and what is sin. He says, you've been told not to murder, that that's sin. But Jesus says, no, actually, it's not just that. If you want to murder somebody, that is sin also. It's not just about the actions of our hands or of our mouth, but it's even the thoughts, the attitudes of our heart that can be sin. Skip down with me to verse 27. He keeps going. You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so he's continuing to raise the bar. He says that even looking at a woman with lustful intent is sin. It's not just did I sleep with her, but did I want to sleep with her? He's raising the bar for what is a moral standard. And these examples are not really exhaustive. He's not trying to point out every single sin that there is. He's just raising the bar. He's helping us understand how high God's standard is. You might be sitting here and thinking, well, if that's the case, then all of us seem to be in trouble. Like, like no one can be good enough. Like, who hasn't had a wrong thought or a wrong action ever in their life? And that's actually exactly what his point is. In fact, that's the first truth, the big truth that we need to understand this morning. If you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write this down. Jesus raised the standard so high that no one can make a passing grade. He raised the bar so high, he's really actually showing us how high God's standard for righteousness is and that it's too high for each one of us. And no, that's not a short joke, but I guess it applies, right? It's too high for each one of us. Jesus' audience thought that they were pretty good because they were descendants of Abraham. They kept the law at least some of the time. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 you have broken the commandments. You are a sinner. The bar is actually higher than that. He's showing us how high God's standard is for morality and for behavior. And this leaves us, all of us, in a bad spot because by ourselves, there's really no hope for us because we've fallen short of God's standard. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 3, verse 10. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Man, Jeez, Paul. Paul and Jesus, they give us no room to hide, no room for excuses, no room to say, oh, it was just a mistake. I didn't know what I was doing. You're not just mistakers. We are sinners. And at this point, I bet you all are thinking, well, I'm so glad I came to church today to be encouraged, right? (laughs) And so we have to ask this question, why does Jesus talk about sin like this? Like, why does he belabor this point about how we uh, fall short of God's Standard. Is he just trying to make us like feel bad? Is he trying to condemn us? Is he trying to show how he's better? Why does Jesus talk about sin like this? And the answer to that question is actually our, our second truth. Again, if you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write this down. Jesus' purpose in talking about sin is restoration, not condemnation. Jesus talked about sin because he wanted to restore us to God. He did not want to just condemn us and make us feel 
bad. Maybe you've been told that you are a sinner. Maybe you've been told that a lot, and it's come across like the person saying that is saying that because they want to uh, just look down on you. They want to judge you. They want to condemn you. They want to feel better about themselves for not being like you, and maybe that was the case. I don't know. I don't know your story, and maybe church and Christians to you only conjure up thoughts of people who are judgmental and are mean or just trying to point out how you are wrong, but I want you to listen to me this morning. That is not why Jesus talked about sin. That was not the heart of Jesus as he was discussing sin. Jesus doesn't want you to just feel bad about your sin. He actually wants you to find freedom from it. And that's why he talks about it. Right after the famous verse in John 3.16 that I bet many of us in this room could quote from memory, he says this in verse 17. God sent his son into the world, his son being Jesus, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus didn't come to judge, to condemn, to point out how you are wrong. He came to save you. He came to restore you. He came to deal with your sin so that there could be a way back to God. And he talks about sin so that you can actually uh, see uh, amended relationship between you and God. You see, our sin has broken that relationship and it has to be dealt with. Our sin can't just be ignored or left alone. Somebody has to deal with it. Somebody has to pay for it. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. And that's why he talks about sin, so that we can find restoration. Reality is that we are not morally neutral people. We're not kind of good and kind of bad. We are, in fact, sinners deserving of judgment. But the question then becomes, how does God respond to us in our sin? We're going to be asking that question again next week, and I'd encourage you to come back. I'm excited for that. But for this morning, I want to talk about a story in Luke chapter 15 that I think illustrates for us how God responds to us in our sin. You may have heard this story before. We often call it the the parable of the prodigal son. And in this story, there's this son who basically says to his dad, you know, I want my inheritance now, but since you won't die fast enough, why don't we pretend like you're dead and you give me half your stuff? Really heartwarming, right? Like, isn't that what you want to hear from your son? But what's even crazier about this is that the father actually does it. He splits his wealth between his two sons, and then he gives, uh, gives the wealth to this one son, and he runs off, and he wastes it in wild living. All of it is gone. It's probably a very, very large sum of money, but he finds a way to spend or waste uh, all of it. And he is so desperate, he's so hungry that he's feeding pigs and longing to eat the food that the pigs are eating. He's that desperate. I don't know if you've ever had pig food, but it's not exactly appetizing, okay? And so that is the state that he's in, and he finally comes to his senses, and he returns to the Father. I want to pick up the story in verse 20, Luke chapter 15, verse 20. So he returned home to his father, And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. There's that word again, right? Sin. He says, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. He doesn't try and say, you know, I've made some mistakes, He doesn't say, you know, the world's hard and they cheated me out of all my money and I didn't understand what I was getting into and it's, it's, maybe I did a little bit something wrong, but it's also their fault. No, 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 he he just owns it. He says, Father, I have sinned against 
you. Let's look at how the Father responds to him in this moment. Verse 22. After, in verse 20, he's already ran to him and embraced him. And then down in verse 22, he says, But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party began. So how does this father respond in that moment? He wants to restore his son. That even by the son's own admission, he he didn't deserve even to be treated as a son anymore. But despite that, the father overlooks that. He forgives his son and he restores him back into that father and son relationship. Such a beautiful picture. But I want you to imagine with me for a moment if the father had said, you know what, you can be my son again when... You've paid me back all the money that you lost, that you wasted. That would be a pretty hopeless situation for the son, right? Like, how is he ever going to get that kind of money back? And yet, that is how many of us think God responds to us in our sin, isn't it? Isn't that how we often think about God? Yeah, you know what? You can have a relationship with me when you've cleaned up the mess that you made, when you've made up for what you've done wrong. Yeah, sure, then maybe, maybe I'll accept you after that. That's often the picture that we have of God, and yet Jesus tells this story to illustrate to us, no, 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 that is not the heart of our Father. We have a God that longs to restore us to Him, so much so that He sent His Son to pay the price so that we could actually be forgiven. That is the heart of our Father. God is like the Father in this story, longing to have a relationship with his children. Quite apart from them making it up to him, he wants to restore them. And then the father throws this party to celebrate the son that was lost and is now found. And as that is exactly the kind of excitement that God has any time one of his children comes home. Guys, that's why we celebrate carnation stories, stories of how God has changed a life. I pray that never uh, gets numb or grows old to us. We should always be celebrating when someone is lost, goes from lost to found. That's such an exciting thing. And Jesus talks about sin because he wants us to be a part of that kind of restoration, that kind of celebration. And our sin has to be dealt with if we are going to ever have that. We have to come to God, like the son in this story, and just own our sin. Not try to excuse it, not try to call the mistake, not try to point the blame on somebody else, but just own it and say, Father, I have sinned. Will you forgive me? And so our question as we close this morning is this. Do you need restoration with God? Have you, like the son, wandered away but realized that the error of your ways and want to come back? Listen to me, it doesn't start with cleaning up your act. If you waited until you had your act cleaned up, you'd never get there, right? It starts with coming to God and just admitting your sin and just owning up to it just like the son does in this story. And God wants to meet us. He wants to run to us and embrace us and throw a party in celebration of the fact that we are now home. But it starts with owning up to our sin. 
If you'd like to do that today, I'd ask you to talk with someone that maybe invited you or myself or maybe somebody wearing a blue name tag, and we'd love to have a a conversation about that. If you, last week, we gave an invitation for you to do that, and if you you made that decision but you've not yet talked to somebody, uh, I'd ask that you do that today. We'd love to celebrate with you um, how you are now a part of the family of God. We We would love that opportunity. Jesus' purpose in talking about sin is restoration, not condemnation, and maybe you have felt condemned by church, by Christians, by people claiming the name of Jesus, and they've just, it just seems like they have uh, talked down at you all your life. And I want you to know today that Jesus didn't come to condemn you. He came to restore you. That's the whole reason that he came. He came to seek and save those that are lost. That was his whole purpose in coming He paid the price on the cross for your sin to be forgiven. If you've been burned by church or by Christians, I first want to say I'm I'm sorry that that's your story. And I want you to know that this is a place where you can talk about that pain and uh, hopefully we can help you process that together and help you find the restoration that Jesus came so that you could have. If you're still wrestling with this and maybe you've got some questions, um, last week we talked about how we've got copies of this book, How Good is Good Enough?, um, that I think will help you answer some of those questions. And if you didn't uh, get a copy last week or if you'd like a copy, there's still some available at our Welcome Center, I believe. Uh, there was before first service at least, and so if I'm a liar, you can yell at me later, but um, we will make sure we get more if we need to. Um, but this, is again, is a great uh, book that I think will be a help to you. And if you're here and you've already made Jesus your forgiver and your leader, I want to ask again, do you need restoration with God? Is, is there some sin in your life that you've been allowing, that you've not dealt with, that has come between you and God, and you need to come back to Him again like the Son and repent and find the forgiveness that He longs to give to you? Listen, no, no matter how long you've been following Jesus and then you went off the path, and no matter how long you went off the path or for how, how bad it was, the Father is waiting with open arms. He's not waiting there to point out how you're wrong. He's not waiting there to say, hey, look what you did, you big idiot. He's waiting with open arms, and he wants to have that relationship with you. Jesus wants to restore us, not condemn us. That is the heart of our God. That is the heart of our Father. And again, if you need to have a uh, conversation today, um, we welcome that. We'd love to be a part of that. Let me pray as we uh, move forward with our service. Father, we are thankful for your word. We're thank you, thankful that it is honest, that it's not a book that um, tries to just make us feel better about ourselves and tell us the truths that we want to hear, but it, it gives us the hard truth at times um, because it loves you love us that much. Um, you loved us enough to deal with our sin problem and to, and, and to let us know that we have a sin problem, and it has to be dealt with. It can't just be ignored. It's not just mistakes. It's not, um, we sometimes try to uh, push it away or call it something else to feel better about ourselves, but it is sin, and it's got to be dealt with, and you sent Jesus to deal with it so that we didn't have to. God, I'm, I'm afraid that there might be some in this room who are still trying to deal with that sin on their own who've not come to you and who've not uh, confessed it and said, God, will you help me find freedom from this? Whether it's for the first time or for the hundredth and hundredth time, trying to bear it on their own. God, I ask that you'd help them find freedom today in you. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus and that in him 
we can actually have forgiveness. We can find peace. We can find hope in life. We can go from lost to found. We can go from without any kind of family to being a part of the family of God with God as our Father. All because of the sacrifice that Jesus made in our place for our sins. God, thank you so much for Jesus. In his name that we pray. Amen.